This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cuckoo writers, and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks, and shortcuts. So I'm delighted to welcome Lewis Hara today to the podcast. Lewis is a chef, food and travel writer specialising in Japanese and Nikkei cuisines. As well as holding supper clubs and cookery classes, he's the author of the blog The London Foodie and has written two books, Nikkei Cuisine, Japanese Food and the South American Way, and The Japanese Larder, Bringing Japanese Ingredients into Your Everyday Cooking. Welcome to the podcast, Lewis. Thank you for having me, Janine. So we're here today to discuss 10 things you need to know about Nikkei. Let's kick off with your food journey. I've heard that you actually trained as an accountant. Is that right? Yeah, yes, this is in my past life. So basically, I came to England um, in 1992 as part of my degree in Brazil. I was doing hotel management. And um, as part of my degree, I had to um, learn English and work in a hotel. So I thought, mm, I'll go to London and do everything in that one year. So that was 1992, 30 years ago, actually, to the day. And um, and I was very lucky. I, I, I arrived in the middle of a, a huge recession in 1992, and, uh, but I was lucky enough to get a job in a hotel, a lovely little hotel in Chelsea. And um, so I, I started working there as a student. And um, 
And I love, I, I really loved the job and I loved hospitality. I loved dealing with people. And um, I met so many, I met so many friends there. I'm still friends with like 30 years later. And um, so I was supposed to be here for a year and write my project and learn English and, and do all that. And, but then I met my partner, uh, whom I am still with. And uh, rather than going back to Brazil, I decided to stay. So I thought to myself, well, I'm, I need to go back. If I'm, if I'm not going back to Brazil to finish my uni, I need to, to do something here. I need to go back to, to, you know, to university. And um, so I, um, I found this course at um, the University of Westminster, which I, um, so I, I got into that course, luckily, um, which was uh, international business in Italian language. Um, and I loved it. So during the course, I had a fabulous uh, teacher um, and she said to me, look, you've got a real affinity with numbers. So I, cutting a longer story short, I kind of got into accountancy. I finished my degree in London and then I got into a training contract with an accountancy firm and I did my chartered uh, certification, which took me three years and exams and all that stuff. Uh, it was tough. It was very, very tough. But um, I, you know, I enjoyed the job. And then after um, I was doing, and I, I kind of stayed uh, within practice, accountancy practice, and I did auditing for five years. And after that, I kind of decided to move into investment banking, and I did that for another seven years. But my passion was always food. I, I always loved um, cooking for friends and reading cookbooks. And I was very, always very interested in going to uh, different restaurants and trying different things. And we were so lucky. I was in London uh, throughout the 90s and um, the early noughties. And there was a time of change in London in the food scene. So much was happening and we, we were discovering so much stuff and people were so eager to try different things and so was I. So I, it was at that time as well that I started writing uh, this blog called the, the London Foodie. And it was quite early on in the kind of the blogging kind of community time. Mm -hmm. So I um, started writing it and the blog became quite popular at the time. And that was real, uh, the real catalyst for me to then have the, the confidence to, to leave investment banking and accountancy to then uh, go on and do something else in food. I knew I didn't want to be a, a kind of a full-time chef working in a restaurant because my, mother, my mom has a, um, an Italian restaurant in Brazil. And I remember seeing her working so incredibly hard. It's a very difficult life if, you, um, if you're cooking and running a business at the same time. So I thought to myself, well, maybe this is, um, maybe I should try to look into something else within food. But I, you know, my passion is in food and cooking. So, um, so I left banking in 2011 and I went to live in Japan for a few months. Uh, then I came back in 2012 and I... Um, sign up to, uh, to um, uh, Le Cordon Bleu. So I did a, yeah. the, the Grand Diplôme for a year. Um, yes, and that, that was, uh, that, it was during that time I started my supper clubs, my Japanese and UK supper clubs, uh, hosting events in my home um, and uh, offering a set menu um, to guests. Um, yeah, and I really loved, I loved doing that and I'm still doing that 10 years yeah. on. <laughs> And uh, it's been great. I've met so many people. It's been like a real, uh, you know, a, a blessing, really. Um, 
um, and I am able to cook uh, the food I love and um, talk about it with you about it. And uh, so it's been really good. Yes. Yeah, amazing journey as well. And, and like coming back to what you love as well. We are here to talk about Nikkei cuisine today. Can you tell us for number two, what, what exactly is Nikkei cuisine? So Nikkei cuisine is a relatively new concept in the UK, but it's been around for over 100 years in places like Brazil and Peru, in, in, in some other countries in South America. Um, it's a cuisine that was uh, created um, out of necessity by the Japanese diaspora. Uh, millions of Japanese people moved to, um, uh, to South America at that time in the late 19th century um, to work in the sugarcane plantations and coffee plantations in Brazil. So, um, and so they wanted, they found themselves in Brazil uh, on the other side of the world and they wanted to eat a Japanese food, but they didn't have the ingredients. Um, so they had to kind of adapt. They had to make do with local native ingredients in, from Brazil and, and, and Peru. So, um, yeah, so that's how uh, Nikkei Cuisine was created, uh, was created out of necessity at, um, at homes of these Japanese immigrants. And, um, uh, yeah, so this is what Nikkei Cuisine is. Um, later on in the 1970s and 80s, when um, the kind of large multinational, Japanese multinationals were uh, like set up planting in South America. So there was a new wave of white color Japanese immigrants that came much later on. And that's when a lot of Japanese chefs came as well from Japan to, uh, to work in the Japanese restaurants in Brazil and South America in other places, South America, like Peru, and even Argentina, Chile as well. So, um, and that's when Nikkei cuisine has become a bit more sophisticated. Uh, they introduced new techniques and, um, yeah, so so that's when Nikkei cuisine left the home to go into a, a, a restaurant setting. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for, so for your next point, you wanted to discuss whether you would call it a fusion a fusion mm. cooking because I know fusion's been a bit of a dirty word in the in yeah. The, so but... it's the dreaded F word in um, yeah. in, uh, in cuisine, a fusion <laughs> in cooking fusion. So um, well, I would say well, Nikkei cuisine is a fusion uh, style of cooking, but it's not a fad. It's not something that um, it's uh, was created uh, to be um, uh, a, a trend. Of, of right now and then it's going to be gone to, yeah, tomorrow because it's something that's been around for a hundred years and there are millions of Japanese immigrants still living in Brazil and they're all creating Nikkei food every day and mm. cooking it. I grew up eating Nikkei food every day of my life until I came to the UK. So um, it's quite, um, we don't even kind of consider it as fusion. Um, it's like I an mean, organic, isn't it? It's like it's happened organically. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and also like if you even... Um, if you go to Peruvian restaurants in London, uh, you will find many Nikkei dishes on the menu, but they don't even describe this as Nikkei dish. A lot of the Peruvians think it's actually Peruvian. It is Peruvian. Do, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's become it's so, part of the... It's yeah. so integrated in everyday um, kind of meals. And that it's like, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's not a fusion. It's not something, it's not a trend, as I say. So, yeah. yeah. And for your next point, you were going to mm-hmm. explain how um, the Japanese ended up in South America in such huge numbers. Because it mm. is, as you said, it's millions, isn't it? Yeah, it was, um, 
a huge kind of uh, influx of Japanese people to South America at that time. I don't know if you know this, but Brazil, uh, Japan, was um, close to, to the outside world for over 300 years. And it was during the major restoration, uh, was that 1868, when they opened up to, um, to, to the outside world. Um, Japan had a very strict feudal kind of structure system. And that ended when the Emperor Meiji took over and opened up Japan in 1868. Now, that was a huge push to modernization. If you think of Cuba, who's been kind of closed up for like, what, 70 years, and what happened to Cuba? Now, imagine Japan, the same thing happened to it for 300 years, uh, in this backing that, you know, the 1500s onwards. So it was a backwater kind of place, incredibly, incredibly uh, underdeveloped in, in comparison to other nations. And they knew that. They knew that they were like lagging behind. So they opened up and um, as, as a consequence, there was a huge um, push to modernization. And a lot of the country folks had a really hard time to, to, to adjust. That also coincided with the end of a couple of, of wars that Japan was um, had uh, entered into with China and Russia, and Japan was having difficulties uh, absorbing back all those um, soldiers back into the country, and then with a major restoration. Uh, so they were going through a really bad patch at that time. That coincided with Brazil being the last country in the world to abolish slavery in 1888. Mm. So, um, and Brazil was and it still is to the day a kind of a, a nation of coffee you know we we plant a lot of coffee and um the coffee farmers were desperate for for labor to come and work in the coffee plantations because there were there were no more slaves the europeans stopped coming so the brazilian government all um, entered into an agreement with the japanese government mm-hmm. and subsidized uh, Transport. In fact, the Brazilian government paid for the transportation of a lot of the Japanese from Japan all the way from Kobe to 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 Santos in Brazil to come and work. Um, and they offered accommodation. And for some parts of of um, of Brazil, they even were given land. I mean, like my family was given a coffee farm when they moved to uh, to to Brazil as an incentive um, to to get planting coffee. So that's why a lot of Japanese people went. So there was a yeah. huge incentive by the Brazilian government, uh, free transport, uh, free land, and um, and they were having a hard time with the major restoration back, back home in Japan. Wow. So that's how it happened. So you, you were born in Brazil, is that right? Yeah, I was born there. I was born yeah. there. I was there until I was 19. And then I came to England as part of yeah, my degree, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, for number five, you were going to tell us how how the the Japanese immigration had a specific influence on Brazilian and Peruvian cuisine, what they actually brought to it, and and sort of changed. Yeah. So the Nikkei community. So Nikkei is a word in Japanese that refers to um, is an adjective that means of Japanese, of Japanese um, descent, of of made in Japan kind of thing. You see, Nippon, Nikkei is kind of the same. So basically, um, so the Nikkei community, um, so they were primarily uh, farmers. Uh, so that when they came to, to Brazil, 
they didn't know how to plant coffee because coffee was not native of Japan. But luckily they brought with them a lot of their own stuff. So like, for instance, um, um, uh, persimmon fruit. Persimmon in, in Brazil is called kaki, which is the same name in Japanese. There was no persimmon in Brazil at that time. So they were the ones who brought that. So they also brought things like pumpkin, the Japanese kabocha pumpkin, which is like, uh, it's very common in Brazil. Mm. Um, different types of like uh, grains and um, mushrooms and things like that, which, um, um, you know, which they brought with them, like types of tangerine and citrus fruits. Um, and also like, um, they also brought with them the, the techniques. They made a lot of the, the, the native Brazilian um uh, plants and, and fruits and veg, uh, you know, more commercially available by being able to replant them and teaching the natives how to do stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's very interesting because to this day, still, Japanese are very much involved in the agriculture. I mean, like when we go in uh, South America, especially in Sao Paulo, where I was born, we have like weekly um, fruit and veg markets, street markets. Hmm. So, very, I mean, I don't know, like, I've been in London for 30 years, but maybe things have moved on a little <laughs> bit from then. But, like, back back in, the, back in the, nine, uh, the 80s when I was in Brazil, so we used to go to those street markets to buy our fruit and veg. And um, so, and a lot, I would say 60 to 70% of the vendors are all of Japanese families. Mm-hmm. And they're all selling Japanese vegetables and things that uh, we would eat. And, and talking of... Um all of those amazing ingredients. Can you talk to us about um, a couple of the quintessential Nikkei dishes that you... Sure. So, um, so Nikkei food is like, um, it's an interesting cuisine in the sense that, okay, so it was created by the Japanese immigrants um, using local ingredients. So, so obviously, obviously it sounds awful, but like, uh, so because of that, Nikkei cooking will be different depending on where that food is is cooked. So mm. like Nikkei cooking in South America, is in Brazil, is different from Nikkei cooking made in Peru, oh, yeah. which is very different from Nikkei cooking created in California. You know, there's a lot of Japanese people in California. Uh, California rolls, for instance, is a Nikkei dish. Uh, there is no California rolls, uh, sushi rolls in, in, in Japan. So California rolls was created by Japanese immigrants in California. Wow. Uh, so Nikkei cooking in Hawaii. Hawaii is a huge hub of Nikkei community. Mm. And they, they created, you know, like the poke uh, bowls. Poke bowls is a Hawaiian di- a Nikkei dish. So this all, it's got all of these so um, we all, yeah, you know, like we, Yeah, so basically, yeah, I mean, like in Brazil, we never heard of poke bowls, you know, uh, never heard of those. So yeah, I'm getting a grasp of it now. So it's not necessarily... The mashup of well, it is kind of the mashup of two things, but it's it's more like the Japanese influence on a particular style of cooking, so twisting it around to that that country's cooking style. Yes, oh, and basically recreating Japanese dishes, but using local ingredients. But uh, obviously, then it becomes like um, 
their own thing, if you see what I mean. So like, for instance, in Brazil, one mm. of the quintessential dishes in Brazil is one of the dishes that is actually now in the Olive uh, website. Um, oh, that you wrote for us, yeah. Because yeah, back yeah. in January, you wrote an amazing feature in the magazine um, all about this. So yeah, tell us about those. So um, one of the dishes is this Brazilian IK dish, which is a, a picanha. So it's a beef cut called picanha, which is becoming quite popular now in the UK. So... Um, so what we do in Brazil, we normally barbecue the whole chunk of this beef um, cut in skewers. And we kind of like, in an EK home, what we would do, we would baste the meat in soy sauce, lime and olive oil and garlic. Hmm. Okay. So, and it's very traditional in Brazil. to um, So you, you kind of roast this whole cut of beef and then you, and you slice it really thinly and you serve it, thin slices of beef, which is, again, akin to what the Japanese do with their uh, tataki-style um, d- dishes. Thinly, thin slices of beef or, or fish, uh, which they kind of like sear on the outside and serve with a ponzu dressing or whatever. But what I've done for this recipe, which I serve in the supper club often, and which is now on the Olive um, uh, website, is this tataki of, uh, of picanha beef, which I... Th- which I roast in the oven. You don't even need a barbecue. Uh, it's very easy to do it in the oven. And I make a dressing uh, mm. of soy sauce, lime juice, garlic, and uh, olive oil. And then as you slice the beef, which I just cooked in salt, uh, sea salt, and you just kind of like, um, kind of drizzle some of that sauce on top and you serve mm. that. Also, I like serving with a little bit of like um, onion crisps and kind of, micro herbs and uh, just to give it a, a jazz it up a little bit but you don't need you, do, you don't need all that stuff but you, you can do that if you want to it looks <laughs> great and it, it kind of adds texture and color but um the yeah it's a, it's a nice way to eat um to eat meat without eating huge kind of steaks and i like that though so it's quite it's quite a um it's a lovely cut of meat and, and you've cooked it and served it quite simply, but with lots of punchy flavors. Yeah. And that kind of goes on to your next point, which is about cooking um, Nikkei food at home. Because you said it's originally a family style home cooking cuisine before it moved into the, the realm of chef. So is it something that people would find quite approachable to cook at home, do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just it was a cuisine that was created for the home cook um, to feed a family. <laughs> So, um, and this is um, something I've always um, loved trying to explain and kind of like uh, promote and tell people, look, you know, you don't need to be, you don't need to be Japanese, you don't need to speak Japanese to be able to, to create authentic um, Nikkei and Japanese issues at your home. I mean, the Japanese ingredients are fantastic ingredients in the sense that a lot of those ingredients are, have already been dried uh, they have been uh, smoked and dried. They have been fermented. Uh, mm. They've been aged. So the concentration of flavor is is incredible. Yeah. Not a, like to make a, a dashi stock, which has got so much umami, it's got so much flavor. It should take you like twenty to thirty minute stops. And you know to replicate that, um, to do a French stock, it will take you many many hours <laughs> to get to that level of flavor because like. Anyway, which I love. I loved French cooking, by the way. But uh, with Japanese cooking, the dashi is a, is a, is a primary, is a key ingredient that uses um, three ingredients. Water, mm. 
Katsuboshi flakes, which is like uh, bonito fish, which is being, which is being uh, air dried and uh, and um, and it's very it's kind of rock and then you slice it really thinly and kombu uh, kelp which is being dried which is seaweed so only with these three ingredients you can create an incredible soup in 20 minutes mm. um so it, it and with lots of flavor so yeah so it, it's you can bring in all these flavors into your into your cooking very easily if you know the ingredients, uh, like soy sauce, for instance. Soy sauce and garlic and beef has an incredible um, kind of um, um, what's the word synergy. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it it does work so well. And also I lo- the other thing I love doing is soy sauce, garlic, and butter. Oh my gosh, that works really well as well. <laughs> so this is an incredible ingredient. I think people hasn't hasn't kind of wised up to it yet. Mm. I mean, like you can use it beyond um, uh, Asian cooking uh, because soy sauce is basically fermented soybeans, and soybeans are already high in umami content anyway. Mm. And fermentation will even bring out the flavors even more. Uh, so. You can, you know, I, I love doing things, for instance, um, so soy sauce, garlic and butter and use it with beef. Uh, things like soy sauce and um, balsamic vinegar and a little bit of honey to use it with mackerel fish. So something kind of like very savory and acidic and sweet goes so well with mackerel and, and kind of fatty fish. Everything you've been talking about, I mean, most of those ingredients sound familiar to me. So you were saying one of your points was, you know, it's it's not difficult to cook Nikai. Um, it, are, are there any particular places that you would you would go to find ingredients? Are, are there any online places that you use that people can can access? Sure. So basically, um, I use um, well, I I, have, I use various uh, Japanese. Um, wholesale um, um, suppliers, but uh, for for the general public, I would recommend Yutaka, and they have a, a shop online, Yutaka, right, uh, Yutaka, uh, yeah. Yeah, Yutaka Foods. But there's also J- the Japan Center. Yeah. Um, there's also each Ichiban, I think, uh, as a large uh, um, supermarket in um, in the uh, West, West, um, the Westbourne, uh, uh, what's the Westbourne? What's the name Westbourne of that Grove? huge? It's a Westbourne Grove. Uh, no. no, so what's the name of that huge West? That huge West, supermarket. Oh, where, um, yeah. Westfield. Huge, Westfield. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So they're based there, and it's huge. It's a huge place. My God, it's, I think it's the largest. Um, oh yeah, I know. It supermarket. Opened couple, it yeah. opened pre-pandemic, didn't it? Yeah, yeah it I remember did. talking about it opening. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Is that you know um, the the good and the bad and the bad thing about it, sorry, the, the good thing to come out of of lockdown and everything is the huge amount of like online shopping that's become available yeah. to us because a lot of people, you know, really opened up their businesses so people could get more ingredients. So in a in way, it's kind of given us like inroads into cuisines that maybe, we, you know, we, we would have to like search around a little bit more for that. Um, let's talk about your next point because you, you mentioned um, you wanted to, a couple of places where you could actually go and eat it, eat Nikkei cuisine, like made by a chef, if you weren't making it at home. Tell us about, tell us a couple of your favourite places. So Nikkei cuisine in London is quite uh, interesting because it's very restaurant-led, if you see what I mean. Um, it's, it's slightly different from what, what I grew up eating. But, you know, I'm so happy that someone is doing it commercially and, and getting the word out there on Nikkei 
cooking. So there are places like Sushi Samba. I know it's a bit, uh, it's a bit kind of glit, you know, kind of glamorous and all that. But you know, it's actually, <laughs> I know, I know. But it's, um, um, but it, you know, the food is it can be quite good. I've had um, some very lovely meals there. Uh, there is also Chotomate in Soho, um, mm. which also serve. Um, it's a Nikkei-inspired cooking. And there is a new restaurant opening um, in um, in Mayfair called Mano, which is led by um, a Brazilian friend of mine called Luciana Berry, and she's going to be doing Nikkei cooking as well, uh, as well as Brazilian cooking. Mm. So, um, And that's opening now in February. Amazing. So there are places out there where you can go and get, you know, it, I mean, it, obviously it'd be chef, like you said, it's, it's variation chefy to... Um, I'm going to say that again. I'm getting myself all tongue-tied now. It's great that there's places out there that people can go and investigate it for themselves. And um, these have all got menus online if people want to go and check them out too. And finally, let's talk about the other place they can go and eat Nikkei, which is at your supper clubs, because I think you said you're still you're still running them now. And I believe you've got some coming up quite yes. soon, don't you? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so I'm hosting them in, in February. So uh, this whole this week, next week, for the next three weeks, I'm doing... Uh, I'm hosting events um, and I do them from Thursdays to Saturdays. Um, 32 people um, at my home and it's like a, a 10 dish, eight course menu. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do Japanese and UK cooking here and I'm, I've been doing it for 10 years. And as I said, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to be able to, to do what I love and meet some lovely people in, on the way as well. So like, you know, it's, it's a real blessing. I, I'm very curious and I think... Um, with every chef, if you, um, I'm always learning different things and trying mm. to, um, to, um, to take the best of what I see and, and come across. You know, if you, mm. I'm like, I'm, I learn things all the time. I sometimes I even say to my sous chef who was here like uh, the other day and we were doing something and I said to him, like, I think, you know, I think it's better if we do this dish this other way and we present it this way. And he said, but we've been doing this way for like eight years. And I said, yes, it's taken me 10 years to work that out. I know, <laughs> but I think we can do better. We can do better. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Constantly, constantly evolving. And where can people um, keep in touch with what you're doing, Lewis? Oh, um, so they can email me or get in touch via my um, um, Instagram account, uh, the London Foodie. So it's at the, Lon- at the London at, Foodie on Instagram. Yeah, yes. great. Or um, or email me, louishara at hotmail.com. And um, I'll sign up to my mailing list. And I'll send you the details when, uh, when I share the dates. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming today to chat to us. It's been really fascinating. Oh, my gosh. a lot. Thank you thank so you. much for having me on your podcast. It's what a, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>